listening to Tassie Encounters on Faith FM. I'm your host, Jason Cook, and our presenter today, each and every Thursday, in fact, is Peter Watts. We're privileged to have you back in the studio, Peter. It's good to be here again. Yeah. Well, Peter, today you're talking about the Jesus myth is uh, the continuing topic in our searching for certainty. Mm. Now, uh, I've got a a question for you. You grew up in the UK. You've shared that before, and Mm. you also shared that you were an atheist as a a, a younger man. And I guess uh, the UK or England in particular is a nominally Christian country. Um, Did you ever think about what that really meant in terms of, you know, who Jesus was and uh, did he even exist? You know, was he historically a real person? It's a good question. I think when you mentioned, you know, it's nominally a Christian country, that's probably the way you describe it. It's quite interesting because when um, most people, I think, who are um, British people, when they are born in Britain, uh, it's almost automatic that you might think of yourself as a Christian. So it, it, because of the notion of a Christian country, obviously the head of state is the Queen and she's the head of the Church of England as well. Mm, mm. Um, and so, you know, you would, uh, it wouldn't be, I, I remember going with a mate to his, uh, he, he'd got married, had a, a little daughter and went to his, the, the christening. And I said, so why are you getting your, your, your daughter christened? He says, what you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that was basically the answer. And I, I remember, um, yeah. So I, I would say this, that I was aware of the church. I was sort of put religion in a box, I guess. Mm-hmm. So some people are into football. Other people are into cricket. Some, some people, people are into, into table tennis. Yeah. And some people are into religion. Yeah. And if you're not into us, it's kind of, well, yeah, that's their that's, little that's box. Okay. So yeah. for me, sort of religion was kind of in a little box that it, it wasn't real. And it was something that some people are into it. That's what they do. Mm. But, you know, and I was aware of the name of Jesus, of course. I mean, I went to Cub Scouts for a year, maybe two, uh, as a younger child um, at the local uh, Anglican church just around the road, and that ran the road, uh, road from where I lived. And it was a beautiful Anglican building. Um, and But I stopped going when it turned from Cubs into Scouts because I didn't want to go to church anymore. And you would go to church on a, you know, the uh, once maybe once a month or even less than that, and they'd do the, you know, clarrying the flags and everything. And it was a very cold tiled floor uh, and you can imagine that sometimes England's a cold country and it was not necessarily a warm place and I never understood um, all of the stuff around it Um, and so I think I just basically consigned religion to a box that was an interest that some people would have in but I had no interest in and certainly didn't consider real um, and so um, you know there's a, a series of meetings that I'll be uh, sharing here in in Hobart um, in August called Is God for Real and we'll talk more about that as we approach it but it's basically some of that journey of finding out is God actually for real yeah. and uh, that's what we're doing in, in this series in, in certain respects yeah absolutely and, and specifically today the, the Jesus myth we're delving into that um, uh, topic specifically too about Jesus um, now Peter we've got uh, a, a program that's going to be running at Rosny SDA Church, the Conquer Series, uh, the Battle Plan for Purity. 
Do you want to tell us anything about that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to lean out in a, a series of meetings at the Rosny Seventh-day Adventist Church. It's going to start 7 p.m. Wednesday, the 23rd of June. It's a five-part series called The Conquer Series, The Battle Plan for Purity, and it really deals with the challenge of internet pornography. Uh, internet pornography is so pervasive these days that uh, it's estimated that uh, between 8 and 11 years of age is the average age that boys encounter Pornography because it's so available, it's so pervasive, it's it's on the end of every smartphone. You know, it's 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 almost like in the past, if somebody was interested in pornography, they'd have to go look for it. Mm. These days, it comes looking for you. It's hard and to avoid. It's yeah. hard to vo- hard to avoid, and it has real implications for, I guess, uh, the way children develop um, into teenagers, the way, the, especially the way boys see women, mm. um, the, the the way it affects the relationships with women. You know. Through life, there are people who are getting addicted to internet pornography, and we want to um, deal with that matter um, and um, provide some solutions. So that's uh, the Conquer series, 7 p.m. Wednesday, the 23rd of June at the Rosny Seventh-day Adventist Church. At 7 p.m. Yeah, so uh, our just want to remind you of our show number, 0488-880-891. You can text us in any time. We will be monitoring that number, and if you've got any questions or queries, and, of course, uh, we will also be having some offers that we can share a code with you and you can text in and get those offers as well. So we better get into today's program. Um, Peter, uh, do we want to review anything from last episode or we just dive so just, straight in? Yeah, in the last, we've been looking at uh, searching for certainty. We've been looking at um, questions such as, does God exist? Uh, who do we trust? Who can we trust? And we've looked at the authority of the Bible, evidence for the authority and reliability of the Bible. Um, we've talked about um, uh, creation and evolution. We talked about did we really evolve? Because that's one of the obstacles for people accepting the Bible as, as you know, reliable. Mm. And then we uh, also talked about why so much suffering. If there's a God of love, why so much suffering? We looked at that in our last program. And uh, and now we want to look at who is the person of Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, very uh, obvious to say that many people have heard of Jesus. In, in fact, uh, at the turn of the century, um, December 1999, Time magazine on it had on its cover, Jesus at 2000. And uh, there was an article by novelist uh, Reynolds Price. And he said this. He said, the single most powerful figure... Not merely in these two millenniums, but in all human history has been Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that's a blockbuster of a statement. That is a, you know, a big statement. <laughs> that's a huge statement. And what, what right does he have to make that kind of statement? That the, the Jesus of Nazareth is not only the most significant figure, the most powerful figure in the last 2,000 years, but actually in all of human history, what gives him the right to say that? Well, quite frankly, uh, there have been more books written about Jesus than any other individual in the history of the world. There have been more songs written about Jesus, more songs sung about Jesus than any other individual in the history of the world. More buildings built to the honour of Jesus than any other person. More hospitals dedicated, more schools opened. You know, you can think more poems, more sculptures. You, you, you know, all of the, all of those things mm. that culturally uh, we we use to express our beliefs, our feelings, our values, and so forth. And uh, Jesus comes out on top. And so, for that reason, he has influenced the human. 
uh, situation more than any other individual in the history of the world. And so uh, we want to take a look at that. And, that, of course, that, that was, uh, like I said, that was uh, Time magazine in December 99. But he still makes the news all the time. So I have a couple of um, National Geographic uh, covers here one from 2016 the story of jesus and another one from december 2017 the real jesus now this is Nat- national geographic and they're not necessarily a religious magazine right mm. but jesus makes the cover mm. and uh again um some may know kanye west who uh a popular music artist in September 2019 issued a song called jesus is king mm. uh so jesus is is kind of uh, everywhere, and um, you know he's he's still as popular today as ever, and um, and probably and, and controversial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so so, did Jesus really exist? I guess is the, is the question. Did he really live as a as a human person that um, you know we we talk about? Yeah, and that's a very important uh, question to ask. And and the the answer is yes, he did. And how can we know that? How do we know that this person? Existed Well, basically because of historical evidence, we could turn to the Bible and we'll certainly look at some of the uh, material in the Bible uh, shortly, but we have extra biblical sources, that is sources outside of the Bible that help us to know that Jesus was a real historical figure. We have people like Josephus, for instance, who was a Jewish Roman historian. Um, he, he wrote... Uh, and, and this is a passage that he wrote. He said, now there was about this time, uh, Jesus. Now, let me just tell you about Flavius Josephus before we dive into the quote. Mm. Um, he lived uh, from about 37 AD to 100 AD. So he lived at the time just after Jesus' ministry. Okay, so Jesus' ministry was from about 27 AD to 31 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, and Josephus is um, born just after that. And uh, he's then writing, I guess, about what he's heard and known from the people who saw Jesus yeah, alive. He's, uh, I guess, he like a journalist, or he would have interviewed people and talked to them about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he writes this. He said there was about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. That's the non-Jews. Mm. He was the Christ, he just puts it in there, he was the Christ, and when Pilate, that's Pontius Pilate, uh, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. And he wrote that late in the first century mm. just just going back to that um that phrase you, you said that he was the christ now the christ mm. in that context was the messiah is that right that's right so the jews were anticipating yeah. in their writings they had this uh, hope that a messiah would come to deliver them and uh that word messiah in hebrew is uh, translated to christ in greek it means the anointed one yes the anointed one of god yeah so he wrote wrote about him um then we have other historical sources there's uh tacitus he was a roman senator and historian uh, he lived from about 55 to 117 ad and um 
he's talking about the Christians right now. And this is interesting because Tacitus is not writing in uh, favor of Christians. He's not writing in support. He's saying um, Tacitus... Uh, so he said, Nero, that's Emperor Nero, fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. Now, this guilt that he's talking about is the, the burning of Rome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Now, Tiberius, Tiberius uh, um, Nero, Tiberius, uh, Christ, and Pontius Pilate are all characters we find in the New Testament written in there. Mentioned by name. Mentioned. Yep. Well, um, it might be a good time to take a break, and we'll come back and continue. There's lots of good stuff here. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt your flow a little bit, but uh, let's take a break and give our listeners a a chance to go and get a drink or whatever they need to do. Um, And we're going to have a listen to this song by Francesca Battistelli. It's called If We're Honest. If we're honest, 
if we're honest. Now, Peter, this is sort of what we're doing today, isn't it? Trying to uh, find the truth. <laughs> and we've been talking about um, did Jesus really exist? And we've been talking about uh, different sources, Josephus and Tacitus, as being external sources to the Bible itself. Mm. And uh, by having external sources, it gives the the book that it's referring to more credibility, I guess. Sure. We're not relying wholly and solely on the Bible, mm. um, although we talked a little bit about that in a, a previous program where we talked about the authority of the Bible or the reliability of the Bible in who can you trust. But, um, yes, it's it's always useful to, to have extra biblical sources. Yeah, so, so we've talked about two. Mm. Um, are there more? Yeah, so there's, um, there's a Roman governor by the name of Pliny the Younger, uh, or Pliny is sometimes referred to as Pliny the Younger. Um, he lived from about uh, 61 um, through to the early 2nd century. And he writes a letter to Emperor Trajan uh, about, uh, this is a 112 AD, and he's talking about a group of Christians. And I want to, to notice this. He writes, he says, they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly, uh, responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God. That's a very significant um, little passage because, uh, again, this man is not a believer. Mm. He's not promoting Christianity. He's simply describing Christians who are meeting, singing, and and they're singing to Christ as As to a God. Mm. Now, this is very important from the perspective of, of... did people regard Jesus as divine? Mm. And clearly some did. We're not saying this man did, but he's describing people who did. Who did. And that's important. So that's a significant piece of evidence as well. But, of course, if you and I, Jason, really wanted to know something about somebody, we could ask somebody who lived 10 years later or 20 years later or 50 years after the fact, but wouldn't we be better to go to the eyewitnesses? Wouldn't we be better off going to talk to the people who actually knew the history, who lived through the history, mm. and they would be the eyewitnesses? And that is what we have in the New Testament. Of course, people these days would say, oh, but you can't go and talk to them now because they're gone. So That's right. there must be, uh, I guess, some evidence that... Somebody talked to them at some point. Well, yeah. but As Josephus must have done as well. Correct. Mm. And obviously those uh, writers that we've cited already, they're um, citing evidence from after Jesus was here on earth, Mm. Um, whereas we can actually delve back into people who did walk and talk with him. They have testified, yes, they're not with us anymore, but they have left us their written record. So we're talking about the Gospels. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, Yeah. and in the Gospels, we want to ask some interesting questions. Who did Jesus claim to be? And maybe you can read some of these, uh, Jason. So in the New Testament, we'll just take um, John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. He walked and talked and ate and drank with him uh, over a three-year period. He was right there at the cross. Uh, John was one of Jesus' closest disciples, and uh, there's some statements he makes. Notice what uh, John says uh, that Jesus claimed in his uh, life. You notice that this is John 14, verse 6. Yep, and it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so this is quite a bold statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, in terms of the Father, Jesus saw saw also taught his disciples to pray. It says, Our Father who art in heaven. Mm. Right? So if the Father's in heaven, he's saying, No one gets to the Father in heaven except through me. Nobody gets to heaven except through me. Mm. 
that's a very exclusive, a narrow bold, gate. It's a bold claim. Isn't it a bold claim mm. for any man to make? And mm. this is the, th- the kind of thing Jesus would say. Here's another one from John eight fifty eight. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, the significance of this is, now, Abraham lived, so Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, right? Yeah. Abraham lived 2,000 years before that. Yeah. Jesus is not saying, and he could have said this, and this would be wacky and bizarre, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. Mm. But he's not saying that. He's saying, before Abraham was, I am. And that was very significant to his listeners Mm. because the people in those days understood that the phrase I am was associated with the God of the Old Testament. Is so, that is that translated as Yahweh, or is that the word that it comes from? It's yes, it's the self-existent one. Yeah, okay. and and it really comes from Exodus three verse fourteen, where Moses sees this bush burning. God talks to him out of the bush, and Moses says, "Go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go." Moses says, "Who shall I say sent me?" And God talks to him out of the bush and says, tell them I am has sent you. Mm. So Jesus here, this is very significant because Jesus is claiming to identify himself with the God of the Old Testament. And they knew exactly what he was saying because the Jewish believers at the time tried to stone him to death. And they knew the Old Testament very well. They did indeed. Mm. But that's not the only thing Jesus said. He said a number of other things. This is another one, John seventeen five. It says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So here Jesus is claiming to be alive before the world was, mm. before the world existed. He's saying, I had life with the Father. Mm. Now, that's a pretty bold claim for any individual to make. Here's another one, eight twenty-three, John 8, 23. And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Uh, you know, if I was to say to people, hey, I'm not from this planet, mm. you know, <laughs> I, I come from somewhere else, you would start to wonder about either my sanity or that I'm just, you know, either joking with you or I'm trying to con you mm. or something else. But that, these are extraordinary claims to make. Here's another one. Uh, this is John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus here is claiming that if somebody dies with faith in him, he can bring them back to life. Mm. Another extraordinary claim. right? So the, the kinds of things that Jesus said are really very out there. You know, They're not the normal things that people say. And uh, many people listening may uh, know the name C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a writer. He was a theologian. Most people would probably know him from the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe that have been uh, very popular books for children and turned into movies and so mm. forth. Well, C.S. Lewis was also a theologian and uh, he wrote a lot about Christianity. But it took a while before he became... Uh, he, he moved oh, into yes. that, wasn't That's it? That's right. I, I remember there was a period of time where he thought that God didn't exist. Sure, yeah. yeah. So he 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 was uh, a skeptic, um, mm. and but once he became a believer, he was quite a, an apologist mm. um, for the Christian faith. But I want you to notice what he says here. Mm. He says uh, this is in his book, Mere Christianity. 
and he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. So he's saying people say things about Jesus, and this is one of the things they say. Mm. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And C.S. Lewis says that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Mm. This is a remarkable statement. I've loved that statement of C.S. Lewis because he he sums it up so brilliantly. It's basically if Jesus is saying, hi, I'm the God of the the Old Testament. Now, that is either true or he's lying deliberately or he's mad. Yeah. You know, and he summed it up with, you know, somebody would say liar, lunatic or Lord. And you read Jesus and you look at Jesus and you look at the people who interact with him. Clearly, he wasn't mad. Clearly, he wasn't a con man because he he told his his disciples, you know, to tell the truth. So was he the Lord? Was he actually the Messiah? The people who were around him believed so. And they bet their life on it and they wrote about it. And that's why we have the Gospels. Mm. Um, So this is very interesting. Um, did you want to say something? I was, oh, I was going to say it's a good time to go to a break, actually. Oh, fair enough. Let's <laughs> go to a break. Let's do that. So, uh, yeah, let's take a break. Um, our resource for today that we're going to give away later, uh, it's its not a physical thing. It's a uh, link to a documentary called The Case for Christ, and we'll give you more details about that later in a code. But uh, just right now, we're going to listen to this song, Who He Is, by Scott Reed. Our lives, the 
sacrifice of a race is who he is. The darkness overcome, the resurrected Son, the victory for us is who he is. Who he is is more than history can show. by Scott Reed. Now, Peter, we've been talking about Jesus and the influence that he had on this world, and uh, in particular, I guess um, uh, we've been talking about, you know, who he was in terms of was he really who he said he was. But uh, I guess we're, I'm interested to know what other ways has Jesus impacted our society and our world. Yeah, even uh, the, just looking at something as simple as the calendar. You know, uh, we're living in the, the year 2021 right now. Um, but why is it the year 2021? Why isn't it the year 315 or 3555? Uh, why is it 2021? It's, it's 2021 because about 2021 years ago, something happened. Um, Jesus was born into this world and time has been... Um, divided by his life. So we have BC, before Christ, and we have AD, which is Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So essentially, Jesus divides time, everything before Jesus and everything after Jesus. And even secular historians now, they use uh, BCE and CE, before the Common Era and Common Era. They still use the same dates. Mm. Um, but uh, Jesus, you know, divides time. And which is significant from the fact that every time you write the date, every time you send a text, every time you send an email, every time you send a tweet, you are testifying to the fact that Jesus was born about 2021 years ago. Mm, Isn't that interesting? Every time a date is recorded Every time you see the date anywhere Mm. and every tweet you send, every text you send is dated. Mm. Um, And it's testifying to the fact that something happened 2,000 years ago. Mm. Uh, And that event, of course, was the birth of Jesus, the most significant individual ever to come into this world. You know, I remember uh, going back a few years now in uh, July 2013, 
uh, the first um, baby, royal baby, was born to William and Kate, mm. uh, Prince William and uh, Princess Catherine, uh, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. They had uh, Prince George Alexander Louis, born on the 22nd of July, 2013. About a month prior to that, uh, in June 2013, the Sunday Telegraph, a Sydney newspaper, carried an insert um, that had a feature about this, about the, the royal birth, and he said, Oh, baby. And the headline said this, Is this the most, uh, sorry, is this the world's most anticipated childbirth since Jesus? Mm. Uh, the, well, that's an interesting headline. Mm. Why would they say that? Well, first of all, and they've got a picture of a baby with a crown on its head, you know, because number one, it's a royal baby. Mm -hmm. Right, that is expected, and whenever there's a royal baby, there's always a lot of buzz about that. But see, the royal baby for for William and Kate was anticipated, you know, after nine months. Once they once they found that they were pregnant, several months later, you're expecting a baby. But the baby Jesus was anticipated hundreds of years in advance. Mm. And that is what this article is alluding to. But I don't think many people grasped. No. When they saw that, the fact that Jesus' birth was predicted hundreds of years in advance, and not just his birth, many other details about his life. It's um, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies and allusions to his life when he lived his life on earth 2,000 years ago. Those things that he did, three, oh, more than 300 of them were prophesied in advance, hundreds of years in advance. In the Old Testament. Mm. And so uh, this is why people have faith in Jesus. This is why people believe that Jesus was actually who he said he was, because he came as a fulfillment of prophecy. He didn't just turn up out of the blue. Out of the blue. Mm. People knew where he was going to be born. Mm. Hundreds of years before he was born, we get people turning up out of the blue now, claiming to be Jesus Christ. Of course, and they of do, course yeah. we don't. Well, we don't typically take that very seriously. Right, that's mm. right. But see, with Jesus, there were mm. so many things in his life where he was fulfilling prophecy, and one of them was the his birth. So, seven hundred years before Jesus was born, uh, Micah the prophet recorded in his book uh, Micah five two. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The ruler of Israel. Um, and it's interesting, it says, but you, Bethlehem Ephratah, that's a certain kind of Bethlehem. In Israel, at the time of Jesus' birth, there were two Bethlehems. There was one in the north, not too far from Nazareth, where they lived. But the prophecy said it was Bethlehem Ephratah, which is down in the south. Mm. And they, they, you know, Joseph and Mary, if anybody knows the Christian Christmas story, Joseph and Mary, they were in Nazareth. They didn't come mm. from Bethlehem. Miles away. But a census was called for by the emperor, Augustine, uh, Augustus rather, um, and they had to travel south to Bethlehem. Mary's heavily pregnant. And while they're there, fulfilling the requirement to register in the census, she gives birth to Jesus and the prophecy is fulfilled that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Absolutely amazing. Mm. Written, you know, 700 years in advance. There are many other uh, of these. Here's another one. You might want to read this out. This is Isaiah 714, 700 years in advance. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right, and we see in the New Testament that when, G, when uh, the, the angel 
visits Mary to tell her that she's going to have this miraculous child conceived by the Holy Spirit. She, um, she, the, it talks about the fact that he will be called Emmanuel, mm. which is, um, it's God with us. God, it? God with us. Mm. And, and the fact that she was a virgin, you mm. know, because Joseph, the Bible actually tells us it's not a neat story in the sense that Joseph says, Oh, yes, of course, Mary, you must be of child by the Holy Spirit. Of course, that we'll have this child together. Oh, and he says, Okay, Mary's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but I don't want to make an embarrassment of her. I'm just going to put her away quietly. Mm. But I'm certainly not going to be married to a woman who's already pregnant mm. and not by me. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's what he says. That's a normal, natural reaction. The story is told like it really would be told. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you were making this stuff up, you'd make it up a different way, I think. Mm. So um, another um, another reference another prophecy that was written 400 years in advance this is in Zechariah 11:12 it says so they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver and this is a reference that is picked up in the new testament when judas betrays jesus uh, and he says, what are you willing to give me if I betray him to you? And they say, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Now, mm. th- that's incredibly accurate, given that uh, how do you even know 400 years in advance that silver is going to be the currency yeah. in the time that you are going to be writing about? Or, or how much that's even worth. Or, yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, and another one, um, a thousand years in advance, it talks about the events around the, the Last Supper. This one is in Psalm 41, verse 9. It says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And this is talking about the way in which Jesus would be betrayed. And, of course, Judas was there at the Last Supper. Uh, he did engage in the Last Supper. He dipped the bread in the in uh, the soup there, and then he he left and and betrayed Jesus. And there were a number of these, and one that I particularly wanted to, or three that I really wanted to to mention before we go um, anywhere else, is that there are three things said about Jesus' life that you really can't guess. I mean, if if you wanted to manufacture some of these things, let me give you an example. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament that Jesus says that the Messiah is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. The king is going to ride mm. into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus actually did that. Yeah. But I could do that. Yeah, you, right? could, you could manufacture that. I could get a donkey, yeah. sit on the donkey and ride into Jerusalem and say, there yeah. you go, it must be me. Yes. But there are three things, not only three, but these are the big three for me. Mm. How do you determine yourself where you're going to be born? You can't. You can't do that. Right. You don't get to make that choice, right? Mm. How do you decide which family you're going to be born into? You can't. <laughs> you can't do that. He was of David's lineage. That's the very reason they went down to Bethlehem mm. is because they were of the ancestral family of King David. Mm. And so uh, you can't manufacture being born of a particular family no. as an individual. Um, and then, of course, the actual the year, the day, and even the hour of Jesus' death is predicted in Scripture mm. in terms of the timing of his coming. You can see that in Daniel chapter 9. There's a, an incredible prophecy that we will talk about on this show in a future show mm. um, because it's worthy of an episode all of its own that talks about the timing of Jesus' ministry as the Messiah, the timing of his death, um, the fact that he died as a sacrificial lamb at the time of the evening offering, um, all of these things were prophesied in advance, and this is why 
people have uh, utter confidence in who Jesus was as a person mm. and uh, why they believe in him as the Messiah today. Mm. We're going to take another break. And uh, this song is actually uh, really talking about one of those prophecies in Daniel. Uh, it's called I Want to See Jesus Too. And it, it talks about when Daniel had a dream and actually saw uh, Jesus in that dream. Um, this is by uh, Josh Cunningham and Jacqueline Jewell. He was mourning for his people, slaves in exile for all their sin. Then the dawning down by the river struck down and silent when he saw him clothed in white. Vision bright, Daniel trembling, mercy and love in those eyes of fire. I want to see Jesus too. I want to see Jesus too. Daniel fainted, angel touched him, raised him up, said you are loved. Fear not, for God has heard you, that's the reason I Welcome back to Tassie Encounters, and uh, we're going to be wrapping up our discussion today with uh, Peter Watts on the Jesus myth. Now, we mentioned an offer earlier, and that offer is a, uh, a link to a documentary called The Case for Christ, and uh, it's, it's really about the story of Lee Strobel. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? 
Sure, ben. I've seen this documentary and I think it's uh, well worth a watch. Um, and, and he's written it. Uh, he's written several books. Uh, Lee Strobel. He's a, a journalist. He was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune in the USA, and uh, he was an atheist basically. And he he got married, and um, his his wife was. I think um, a Christian, and she became more interested in uh, Christianity and going to church, particularly when the children came along and so forth. And he sort of, um, you know, was conflicted over that because he he was an atheist and he didn't really want to uh, raise his, his children on a fairy tale if he didn't mm. believe that this was real. And so um, he decided to investigate the claims of Christianity and just put it to bed once and for all. He wanted, I think he wanted to prove to his wife that it wasn't yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, he wanted to demonstrate why it wasn't rational or reasonable mm. or sensible to believe in Christianity. Mm. And he ended up um, looking at the evidence and, and coming to the conclusion that Christianity was true. And uh, he's written many books and obviously made... Uh, documentaries about the subject and so hmm. the link today will uh, lead to the case for Christ the documentary and I think people will find it helpful yeah so that link the code word to text in is search five that's the number the digit five search five no spaces and you can text that to zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one zero four double eight double eight zero eight nine one and if you're listening to this after the event via the uh, faith FM app or the website um, you can still text that in and uh, you should get a response which will direct you to this documentary now Peter we need to finish up soon but uh, we've got a few more things to share mm, sure well I just thought we would touch on a few of uh, the other prophecies like I said before it's um Someone studied this out and there's more than 300 prophecies and allusions to the life of Christ in the Old Testament written hundreds of years in advance that Jesus fulfilled in his life. And uh, we've mentioned a few of them. We can mention some more of them. We're not going to go through all 300 today on the program. We just don't have time. But uh, this one, again, from Isaiah 50, verse 6, this is 700 years in advance. Notice what this says. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. This is really talking about Jesus' experience when he was being tried and crucified. Mm. And uh, in Matthew 26, verse 67, in the New Testament, it says, Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. Mm. And so, you know, we have uh, the prediction of what would happen, and then we have the reality of what did happen. Mm. Um, again, that was 700 years in advance. This one's a 1,000 years in advance. This is from Psalm 22, verse 16. Just a little phrase, but... But it's interesting uh, if you'd like to read that out. They pierced my hands and my feet. Now, this is fascinating because um, this is written in the time of King David. Mm. Jesus is referred to often as the son of David uh, in that he would basically be a king like King David was and he would come in that line. But uh, this idea of they pierced my hands and my feet, obviously we're immediately led to the idea of the crucifixion when mm. Jesus was crucified. Mm. They nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. Um, but, of course, a 1,000 years B.C., crucifixion wasn't a... Wasn't a thing. Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a method of execution. This mm. was a, uh, a Roman method of execution that the Romans used over a period of time. And, of course, Jesus wasn't the only one crucified. There were no. many people who had been crucified. But, of course, the fact that this is highlighting how he would die... Um, you know, crucifixion wasn't simply... 
um, a form of execution. They could, you know, take off your head or hang you, uh, run you through with a sword um, if they wanted to kill you quickly. Mm. But a crucifixion was a method of um, execution that involved you suffering first. Mm. That was the whole point of crucifixion. It was reserved for the, the worst of crimes. And is it true that the uh, thieves on the crosses next to Christ weren't, they were, weren't nailed to the cross. They were tied. No, I think they were nailed too. Oh, I, they were nailed as well. Well, I don't think it actually says. It says they were crucified. It with says him. he was crucified between yeah, okay. two thieves. They were crucified too. It doesn't really specify, uh, but there's no reason to believe they weren't nailed. Hmm. In fact, if you go to the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, they've actually found, um, I think it was found in the 1960s, they found a heel bone with a Roman nail through it. Right. Um, uh, demonstrating how crucifixion was, was actually performed. Mm. And so this poor individual um, had had that happen to mm. them. Um, but, yeah, so um, but he, he was crucified, and the fact that it was able to point that out a thousand years advance in Scripture. And the method. They mm. pierced my hands and my feet. It was mm. quite incredible. Here's another one, Psalm 22, verse 18. It says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So here it says uh, in the New Testament, Matthew twenty-seven thirty-five. it says, Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots. So this is recording, this is Matthew recording what happened at the cross um, it, that's in coordination with something that was written a thousand years before about mm. the Messiah. And uh, it's, it's fascinating. You can go to Jerusalem today and there are areas of pavement uh, from 2,000 years ago where they've got certain games carved into the pavement by the Romans that they used to gamble over while they were, you know, living and working there in Jerusalem. And when I saw that, I sort of it reminded me of the gambling that they, they did for his clothing. Casting lots. Casting yeah. lots, mm. yeah. Um, here's one more from Isaiah 53, uh, verses 3 to 6. Maybe you'd like to read this. This is a significant one. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our, peop- for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's fascinating. I've seen people do this where they've taken that passage out into the street of uh, some place in America and just said, uh, I'm reading this through. Who do you think this describes? Mm. And virtually every person says Jesus Christ. You know, whether they're a believer or not, whether they're going to church or not, whether they're practicing or not, they said, this sounds like Jesus Christ, mm. right? This, this sacrifice uh, of the sacrificial lamb of Jesus. And of course, that was written 700 years before the cross. I, I believe too, I've seen uh, quite a few interviews with, with uh, people who, uh, of Jewish 
culture who have read that and been convinced that's right as, as a result of that passage as yeah well. so 700 mm. years ago before you know before christ is born that is written and of course that describes how jesus came as the suffering sacrifice mm. for us and we'll, we'll talk more about why that was in in a future program but um, Dr. Stoner, uh, Dr. Peter Stoner was uh, the former chairman of the Departments of Mathematics, Astronomy and Engineering at Pasadena College in California. I guess he was busy because mm-hmm. he, he seems to have a lot on his plate there. But um, he and 600 of his students took just eight of the prophecies about the Messiah uh, that we find in the Old Testament, written hundreds of years in advance. They took eight of these prophecies and applied the principle of probability. What is the likelihood of you or I or some random individual uh, turning up and fulfilling eight of these predictions. Not a hundred of them, not 300 of them, just eight. Um, and they applied the principle of uh, probability and they concluded that the chances of all eight being fulfilled in one man in a lifetime was one in 10 to the power of 17. That is one in 10, well, that's a, a, a one with 17 zeros after. It's a big number. <laughs> it's, it's a big number. It's yeah, bigger than... In which case, the probability is minuscule. It's slim indeed. Yeah. It, it's, so, it's, um, it's so minuscule that, you know, you just... It, it's more than... It, it's smaller than, or rather larger than, all the people that have ever lived on planet Earth, mm. you know. I'm going to sum up with this, this poem. This is One Solitary Life by James Allen Anderson. And he wrote this in 1926. Notice what he says here about Jesus. He says, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never lived in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. Mm, so, so much truth in that uh, that poem. Mm. Well, Peter, we're out of time. That's mm. a pretty good summary yeah. uh, of our discussion today. Well, it's a scratching of the surface in terms of the evidence that exists yes. for the fact that Jesus is mm. the Messiah that was prophesied. And remember our offer, SEARCH5 is the code. Just uh, text in to 488 That's SEARCH5, the number 5, no spaces. Uh, 04888080891 to get uh, the link to the Case for Christ documentary. Now, uh, Saturday morning, Peter, you'll be uh, back over at Rosney SDA Church. 
Yes, so uh, this Saturday morning I will be at Rosny from 11am and I'm talking on the moral dilemma. It's uh, going to be um, in preparation for that um, series, the Conquer series, the Battle Plan for Purity. So I'm going to talk about the moral dilemma and uh, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that. Awesome. And next week on your program, it's titled Resurrection, Fact or Fantasy. Mm. Um, I guess that's uh, tied in with the case for Christ too, because I think that was part of what he was trying sure. to uh, prove was was not true, the resurrection of Christ. Um, so oh, it'll be good to get into that topic next week. Mm. And, uh, of course, on uh, tomorrow with David Maxwell on his series Amazing Love, the uh, the title is He Vindicates Me. So I really do hope that you can join us tomorrow and we will uh, talk to you then. In the meantime, have a great day.